Hello everyone, it's Thursday, December the 6th, and that makes today St. Nicholas Day. But we're going to get to that a little bit later. The countdown is on. It's only four days left until Canada signs away our sovereignty and we have open borders. Paris is burning, and I'm not talking about the movie, and Trudeau keeps tweeting things that cost us a lot of money. I'm Laura Lee, and here's the history behind what happened this week. absolutely crazy around the world and for the most part we're just ignoring it some pretty huge things actually our world leaders are moving in a very dangerous direction but citizens are beginning to rise up and even try to stop it the question is are we too late but before all that I have an announcement I'm gonna be doing a daily post um, right now I'm not putting it on the podcast, but just a video on my website, laurelaysiemens.com, and also on YouTube as well. And I'm going to be going through some books of the Bible. So I've started with Daniel because, hey, why not start off with one of the most difficult books, right? So each day I'm going to explain what happens in one chapter of Daniel, and then you can go and read it. And people are afraid of Daniel, and, and not many people read past the sixth chapter, but really, the last half of the book is absolutely amazing. So check that out each day. Um, the videos are not very long. And uh, let me know how you're enjoying it. And maybe I'll end up putting them on podcasts in the new year. But we'll see um, how it's going and if people really want to do that. So in the meantime, go to laureleysiemens.com and find it under the video tab. So laureleysiemens.com video tab. All right, so today is St. Nicholas Day. So you may have thought that that was December 25th, but no, that is Christmas. They're actually not the same holiday. So we're going to be doing some stuff about December 25th and Christmas um, over the next podcast now in December. But today, since it's St. Nicholas Day, we're going back all the way to AD 325. So it's been a little less than 300 years since Jesus died and rose again. And a group of Christian leaders are meeting. They are leaders from all over the then known world. The meeting starts on May the 20th and lasts until June the 19th. And they call this the Council of Nicaea. President of the meeting, there are two religious leaders, a man named Nicholas and a man named Arius. Nicholas believes that Jesus was and is God. He died, but rose again and is alive. Arius believes Jesus was a man. He was not God. He's dead. We can learn from his writings, but he's just a man. Arius stands to address the group. He's speaking and explains to the group his view on who Jesus is. Nicholas stands up in defiance. The two men begin arguing. As Arius continues to say that Jesus was not God, Nicholas becomes so angry, he punches him in the face and knocks him to the ground. So who is this Nicholas guy? Other than a very strong believer in the fact that Jesus is and was God, Nicholas was a very wealthy man. His parents had left him a lot of money and he gave his money away generously. One day, he heard about a man who had three daughters. The man had no money and his daughters wanted to be married, but he had no money for the marriage. 
So instead of t- going to the man directly and giving him money, he dropped three pieces of gold through a window for the man and his daughters, one for each daughter. The gold landed in the stockings of the girls who had hung them by the window to dry after they'd washed them. The story spread quickly, and this is not the only time Nicholas dropped money or gold through windows to help people. After he died, the church made him a saint, and December the 6th was set aside as a day to remember his generous giving and how hard he fought to keep the purity of the scripture. The story was told to children as a way to teach them to be kind and generous, and the story became very popular in Germany and also with the Dutch people. They had two different versions of the story, and they pronounced his name a little bit different. When America was founded, people began traveling to America and Canada from Germany and the Netherlands. The Germans and the Dutch brought the celebration of St. Nicholas with them, December the 6th. The British were celebrating December 25th, Christmas Day. Well, sort of. We'll get to that in a different podcast. But the two celebrations sort of merged. The English liked the giving gifts thing with St. Nicholas, but didn't pronounce his name right. The English pronounced it as Santa Claus. But really, it didn't take off in the, it only took off in the southern parts of the United States. In the north, no one was really celebrating it until the Civil War. Lincoln made posters of St. Nicholas hanging out with the Union troops as a way to make the rebel soldiers angry. He kind of stole their guy and took their guy and put him in his army. The posters became part of the northern propaganda, and by the end of the Civil War, St. Nicholas, or Santa Claus, was part of the American celebration. But it was not until Coca-Cola decided that they would use this guy as an image in their posters that we get the Santa Claus we have of today. Now, the picture of Santa Claus before Coca-Cola, he was tall, kind of skinny, his coat was like a burgundy red and very plain. His coat was red because he was a bishop. But the artist from Coca-Cola made a few changes, made him a bit shorter, made him not very fat, gave him rosy cheeks, white beard, white hair, and changed the color of his robe to a more bright and fun color red. So that's how we got Santa Claus. So today, December the 6th, be generous, be kind, and punch a teacher of false doctrine in the face. Just kidding. Don't punch anyone, but stand up for the true teaching of the Bible. So that's Santa Claus. Now, we're going to start with our segment on political correctness to make sure we're all still good citizens. Now, this week, I actually got in trouble, so you can all learn from my mistake. I very wrongly mocked one of the new rules. See, there's a song that is extremely offensive. It's a song that encourages sexual harassment. That's right. Can you believe it? We've been letting our children listen to songs that encourage sexual harassment. Have you seen the movie A Little Mermaid? Well, if you did, you probably even sang this song. It's called Kiss the Girl. Now, you may have thought like I did, that's a song about a crab or a lobster. Wait, is it a crab or a lobster? One of those things. We'll say a lobster. A lobster singing to a prince to convince a prince to kiss a girl who's actually a mermaid because once he kisses her, she'll get her voice back. And she lost her voice because she gave it up to be with the prince that she thinks she loves, even though she only saw him for like five minutes. So really, it's the prince being tricked into kissing a mermaid. It's just for fun. But if you thought that like I did, then you are wrong. And I learned just how wrong I was when Facebook sent me a message saying I violated their community standards by saying this rule was stupid. All the PC rules are actually awesome and none of them are stupid. So thank you, Facebook, for that reminder. 
but this was only one of the new rules. There's two more. So there's two popular books and movies that are secretly racist, and it's those secretly racist stories you have to really be careful about. The first one is Veggie Tales. Now, if you grew up in church, you know who the Veggie Tales are. Now, if you're thinking, I don't understand how the Veggie Tales could be racist, they're actually secretly white supremacist videos. And if you're thinking like I did, wait, they're vegetables and none of the vegetables are white. Plus, aren't all the characters in the story Jewish? And I didn't think white supremacists liked Jewish people, but that's why it's called secretly racist. You see, it's about the accents. The people who are the bad guys, they have French accents. And the person with a French accent, wait a minute, if you're thinking, um, aren't French people mostly white? Still, the good guys who are green cucumbers and Jews, and the bad guys have a French accent and they're a grape. So, yeah, somewhere in there we have white supremacy. It's super secret, though, how they got that. Another book that we have to, that's been very popular for decades and has been made into a movie series, it's also secretly racist. Lord of the Rings. And I can't believe I didn't notice this when I first watched it. I mean, all of the orcs are bad. All of them. There's not even one good orc. They're all ugly. They're all big. They're all violent. And we don't even care if they die. In fact, the audience wants them to die. How could we allow a race to be portrayed this way? Now, if you're thinking, but the orcs aren't real, they're a made-up race, remember, all races are equal, even the made-up ones. Come on, it's almost 2019. We should know this by now. Now, some of you have sent me a message asking if I'm making up these new rules. No, these are all stories and papers published by reputable sources. So don't make the same mistake I did mocking these new rules. They're very serious and you could end up in Facebook jail. So let's all be good citizens. I don't know, burn those Lord of the Rings books, throw out your Little Mermaid video. I don't think anyone actually watches VeggieTales anymore, but if you do, you don't want to anymore. We all want to be good, politically correct citizens. All right, talking about good citizens and bad citizens, France, what is going on? So the citizens of France, I did not know this, but every car has to have a yellow vest in it by law in France. That's kind of weird. So every single person with a car owns a yellow vest. So the yellow vest has become a symbol in France and they are rioting and they're calling it the yellow vest riots. The pull is really between the city people and the country people. You see, the city people, for the most part, don't have cars. They walk, they ride bikes, they take public transit. So the idea that the government keeps adding more carbon tax to the price of fuel doesn't really matter to the city people. But it's those living outside the city who have to drive into work, to school, to shop, restaurants. All of those people are going broke. They can't afford to fill up their car and drive into the city. And they can't just not go to work or not shop for food or not take their kids to school. And the carbon tax keeps going up each year. They're paying, if you put it into Canadian dollars, $2.30 a liter for gas. And it's going up even more. This is the carbon tax, the same one that Trudeau wants to put here in Canada. 
And the reason for our gas in Ontario was $1.30 this summer was because of the carbon tax. Before it has ended that tax for Ontario, and now we are under a dollar again. And it should actually be even lower. But Trudeau has said he wants to force that tax back on us. He wants to raise it every year, making it the same as France. That is his goal. And it all comes from the Paris Accord, the one Trump backed out of, the one Canada has embraced. But what did this come from? The government's been giving the opportunity to raise its taxes on its citizens, but nothing is changing the environment. But here's the actual idea, what they're pushing for. They want people to leave the country and move into the city. The goal is to move the population into the cities and then give the land in the country to the government to, to control. Now, this was all done in the name of environmentalism. And if you think the population won't be convinced to do this, the younger generation has already been brainwashed since childhood to believe the world actually will end if we don't do everything the government says to do to save the planet from global warming. Oh wait, it's not global warming anymore. Sorry, climate change. They had to stop saying global warming because, you know, the globe wasn't warming. So to understand this, we have to travel all the way back to 1989. A group is meeting for the first time in the UN. They're beginning plans for a new way of life. They start with an envision of what they want the 21st century to look like. And then they begin to discuss how to implement that vision. They have at that time 5.2 billion people and convincing 5.2 billion people to go along with a plan of a few people in a UN office, that will not be easy. The group continues to meet and plan and build a comprehensive plan on how to implement this into the world population. Now the year is 1992. Our population is now over 5.5 billion. We're in Rio, Brazil at the Earth Summit. In 1992, in Rio, Brazil, the UN meets for the Conference on the Environment, the Rio Earth Summit. The group shares their dream and their plans for implementation. Imagine with me you're in this room. It's a large room. The UN symbol is behind the presenter. Everyone is sitting behind tables. The tables all have a book ready to be opened. You pick up your earpiece and put it in your ear. The other leaders do the same. Whatever the presenter says will be repeated into your earpiece in your language. This is supposed to be the presentation that will change the world forever. The presenter begins with the dream. To move all of civilization into urban housing and to create huge lands of wilderness for animals to be free to move and live with zero impact from humans. These cities will be walkable cities with no cars and only perhaps trains. These populations will work with little use of resources such as water and power and will not use any carbon pollution. There will be a smaller population in this new vision, and no one would own any private property. We would all, but a smaller group of all, live together in peace. Peaceful, walkable towns where we all share everything. You hear this and you think, this is impossible. Why are we wasting time on this? You're from North America and this looks like a bad sci-fi movie, but the presenter is not finished. They continue, but how could you possibly convince 5.2 billion people to do this? Here's where the plan comes into the place. It will need to be implemented slowly over time. The plan is presented to 171 countries at the Rio Earth Summit. It has 30 chapters. As the leaders book, as the leaders take the book, they see the front cover. You look down at the table. You have the same book. You look at it. 
Agenda 21, a comprehensive plan of action to take globally, nationally, and locally by organizations of the United Nations system. A little farther down the title page, you read, Governments and local groups in every area in which humans impact the environment. You open the cover to see the table of contents. The book is divided into four sections. Section 1, Social and Economic Dimensions. There's eight chapters in this section. Section 2, Conservation and Management of Resources for Development. 14 chapters in this one. Section 3, Strengthening the Role of Major Groups. And there's 10 chapters in this one. And Section 4, Means of Implementation. And you flip through the agenda. In the 30 chapters, the group begins to present the agenda. They give the vision of these human settlement zones and these vast lands for wildlife. They talk about the end of national sovereignty, no private property, changing the family, ending aggregation, and even getting rid of paved roads and farmlands. No more fossil fuels, and everything will be done with the word you hear, sustainable. It's 1992, and it seems crazy. No chance the world will ever accept this. In fact, a few months later, some American men get a hold of this book and begin to tell other Americans who mock them, because this is weird and has no chance of ever working. But today, in 2018, we can see it's already started to take these ways. Here are some of the ways they planned in implementing this plan. Number one, think locally, act globally. That term is actually invented by the UN. People are less afraid of local government than global government. So the local government has to be the ones to start the implementation. Chapter two, educate the children. Or don't educate them to be more precise. The children must be taught environmentalism above all other subjects. They must believe it above all else. All other education must be dumbed down. World leader begins reading the book he has on his table. He has He gets to the chapter on education for sustainable development. Is this right? You turn to your page yourself and you read, quote, generally, more highly educated people who have higher income consume more resources than poor educated people who tend to have lower income. In this case, more education increases the threat to sustainability. That seems a little wacky, but when it's time to vote, 171 countries raise their hands and agree to accept the agenda. 171 countries, including Canada and the United States, vote to accept this agenda. All the work the group has done over the last three years has paid off. Now the question is, will the world accept it? The year is 1992. A man named Reed Noss publishes a plan called the Wilderness Project. The published plan has a picture of the United States. There are red zones. These would be areas where humans may not enter for any reason. There are yellow zones where humans may pass through to get to the allowed zones. There are green zones where cities will be built and people can live. There are pink zones for Indian reservations and gray zones for the military. Yellow and red are most of the United States. The paper is ignored. No one cares, but the plan is for this map to be the reality in 80 years. That was 26 years ago. So how's it going so far? The government of America has implemented regulations that have forced landowners to give up large portions of their land to the American government. In Florida alone, 
2 million acres have been taken by the government. This was under what was called the Florida Forever Campaign. And this is happening all across the United States. I was in grade nine in 1992. Sometimes I look around the world and think, what is happening? So much has changed since 1992 and maybe there's a reason. Those starting grade one in 1992 would be 32 years old today. The group has been under this education plan all the way through school, and they're now in their late 20s and early 30s. They've been properly programmed through elementary school, high school, and college. But really, one vote the UN had in 1992? Come on, nobody cares about that. Well, in 1997, the year I finished high school, and if you did the math, we had five years of high school in Ontario at the time, the UN is meeting again. The meeting is called Rio Plus Five. The leaders are getting together to see how the plan was going to create the vision of Agenda 21. Bill Clinton is the president of the United States, and he announces that with an executive order, he has created the order of sustainable development. Laws were being implemented, but there was no parliamentary vote. Just Bill Clinton putting it into laws. The group looks to see specifically how the Western countries are moving to make implications. They agree the education of the children is working. They agree that they need to train the children to think of themselves as, and here's a term, global citizens. Loyalty must move from the family to the government, and the idea of sustainable development must be seen as the only way to save the world. The Wildlands Project must be implemented into more Western countries. But there's a significant problem they see. There's an uneven trend. The West is getting wealthier, and that must be stopped. Also, the population in 1997 was now 5.9 billion. The growth in population needed to end. The countries vote again, this time to accept a new assembly resolution S-192. The resolution is to increase the education of youth, put an end to the uneven wealth of the West, and find ways to stop the growth in the population. Stopping the growth of the population will be done through abortion. Making the wealth more even, well, that will be by taking money from the citizens in the West and giving it to other countries. This will be done through raising taxes in the West and the Western countries agreeing to give the other countries money. Lots of money, millions and millions of dollars. They also begin to convince the populations in the West that they are bad for being wealthy. They must feel guilty about their wealth. It's now 2002. A group meets in a large auditorium. They're excited to hear the speaker. They've paid well for these seats. Bill Gates is going to be giving what is called a TED Talk. It's a newer thing, but it's growing in popularity. Those sitting in the seats are excited. He stands and he's speaking about environmentalism. We must get our C2 down to zero. There's a simple formula. C2 is when you add up people, services, energy, and the cost per unit of energy. The only way to get our C2 to zero is to take each of these groups to zero. There's a nervous laughter in the group. Bill Gates is a genius. He's well-respected, but he's not saying kill all the people, right? Is he? No. People look at each other waiting for the part where he explains, obviously we don't kill all the people. And he says, and I quote, if we do a good job with new vaccines, healthcare, and reproductive health services, we could lower our population 
by 10 to 15%. Most in the room nod in agreement. See, not kill everyone, just lower our population by 10 to 15%. But some are horrified. You can still find this clip on YouTube. Let me read it again. It says, if we do a good job with new vaccines, healthcare, and reproductive health services, we could lower our population by 10 to 15%. That same year, the leaders of the world meet in Johannesburg. It's year 2002, and it's been 10 years since they voted yes to Agenda 21. For some countries, we have the same leaders. For others, we've changed governments a few times, but really, it makes no difference. So here in Johannesburg, the leaders meet at the World Summit on Sustainable Development, Earth Summit 2002. I was getting married, just as a side note. At this summit, there's another vote, and every country signs and agrees. They will have full commitment to have full implementation of Agenda 21. They'll push now for control of the air through regulating carbon emission. They will push for control of the land with sustainable development and control of the land or, and control of the sea with environmental regulations. The United States agrees to implement the Biodiversity and Wildlands Project. And this is a quote from that project. Humans are to be concentrated in human settlement zones, consisting of high-rise dwelling units that are to be constructed along railroad tracks. The rail must be the means of transportation. Private automobiles will not be permitted. The group meets again in 2015. The world population is now 7.3 billion. But 54% but of the world now lives in cities. The plan is going well. The population is being pushed into the right direction. In 1980s, when the group first met to dream, only 42% of the population was in cities. They have jumped 14%. It's exciting for the group. They have some other really great changes. People are using terms like sustainable development in everyday languages. People are even majoring in it in university. Local governments have all been implementing regulations and the population of the West have agreed to everything with little to no pushback. Those who have pushed back have been mocked by the rest of the population. Perhaps it's time for a bigger jump. Today, a document is handed out. You're here again, sitting at one of the many lines of tables. You take a look at the document each leader is receiving. It says in the cover, the future we want. It's a new agenda to be run alongside Agenda 21. It's Agenda 2030, Sustainable Development Goals. While Agenda 21 was geared towards local governments and local schools, Agenda 2030 is about federal governments. How will the federal government push its citizen into the dream of Agenda 21? Agenda 2030 has 17 goals and they all sound great. Things like ending poverty, bringing education to the world, clearly a wonderful thing. 180 countries signed the pledge. On December the 12th, 2015, the world leaders meet in Paris. There are 196 state representatives here today, and they will all sign the Paris Agreement, or the Paris Accord. Their goal, to increase the global average temperature to well below 2 degrees Celsius, above pre-industrial levels, and to limit the increase to 1.5 Celsius, since this would substantially reduce the risk and effects of climate change. 
They will do all this by taxing its citizens. The tax will go toward fuels for automobiles. This will be a way to encourage the behavior of their citizens. What behavior? Well, we want them to move into the cities where they can use public transportation. They want automobiles to be gone, and they know the only way to do that is to make gas unaffordable for the average citizen. It's now 2017. America has a new president, Trump. Not only did he immediately withdraw from the Paris Accord, he has overturned regulations in every state and given back hundreds of acres of land to private citizens. He is overturning about 20 years of regulation. Could one man ruin the entire plan? France has been leading force on Agenda 2030, and in 2017, the French environmental minister announced a plan that they would eventually ban all petrol and diesel vehicles by 2040. He also said by 2022, there would be no more coal, and his carbon tax would continue to increase, forcing its citizens to either move to the city, which is the ultimate goal, or to buy cars that don't need gas. On top of all of this, large masses of people migrants have been moving across the globe. We've seen this in Europe. It's the plan and the vision of Agenda 21 to create a movement to force all of the population into cities to be controlled by the government. In September 2018 in New York, the same group of people meet again. This time they agree on the global compact on migration. They're moving faster towards the dream they envisioned in the same building in 1989. One country stands up and walks out. The USA. Oh, that Trump is ruining everything. But then one other country follows. Australia. The rest all agree to sign, but they will be back December 11th, next Monday. But two countries are saying they are out right from the start. But now more countries. As of today, here are the countries that are out and refusing to sign. United States. Russia, Australia, China, Japan, Israel, Italy, Estonia, Czech Republic, Slovia, Croatia, Hungary, Bulgaria, Korea, Belgium, Switzerland, Austria, Denmark, and Poland. And that is where we leads us to France. The French citizens are done. Perhaps the government moved too quickly before the citizens were ready. Perhaps the citizens in the country did not get enough propaganda to be brainwashed. Perhaps the original idea of Agenda 21 was right. These movements must be done locally. The people don't fear local government. It's this new Agenda 2030 that pushes for federal governments to implement change. That may have been a bad strategy. In France, for the last three weekends, the citizens from the country have risen up and they're angry. The French government has decided to put a hold on the new carbon tax for six months. But at this point, that's just the start. People want their freedom back. They want more than just the carbon tax gone. They want the migration to stop. They want the regulations to stop. They want the effects of Agenda 21 to end. But is it too late? Try to force us into a human settlement zone? Fine, we're going to burn down your human settlement zone. And France is not alone. In Spain, a brand new party called Vox won a 11% of the vote, giving them more seats than parties that have been held that have actually held power in the past. Vox wants to end migration and put an end to this environmentalist regulation and taxes. All across Europe, there's an uprising. The uprising is either going to spread 
or it will be killed off by the government. Here in Canada, we're starting to wake up little by little. Ontario voted in the PC party mostly just to end the carbon tax and also to take back control of our education system. Other provinces are getting ready to do the same. But migration was not a hot button topic in Canada. We love immigrants and Canada is not a racist country, but that's changing. When Trudeau sent out a tweet saying, everyone's welcome and our borders are basically open, tens of thousands came into our country illegally. Some started getting concerned. And when we found out last week that it cost our government over $1 billion, many Canadians are not happy. But then this week, Trevor Noah was doing a fundraiser for girls' education and Trudeau sent out a tweet saying he was sorry he was not there, but how about he give the fundraiser $52 million? Let's do it. Wait, he's not giving them his $52 million. He's giving them our $52 million. What is this fundraiser even for? And isn't it supposed to be like the government size as a whole as we're going to give money away? Was he just sitting on his couch watching TV and thought, hey, I'm going to do a tweet that'll cost Canada $52 million, which isn't as bad as the tweet that cost us a $1 billion a few years ago, but still, it's pretty bad. And just a reminder, it's all of these people basically open borders and they're all coming in and it's costing us a billion dollars. There are still two little kids who've been adopted by Canadian families, but they're stuck in Africa that can't, because Canada will not allow them to come in. So we will let in tens of thousands of people and take, give them all kinds of free stuff and come right across the border. Don't stop them at all. But two little kids in Africa who have families here in Canada who have adopted them, that we won't allow in. That's our government. So we're living in an interesting time. I'm very curious really as to what's going to happen over the next few months. Will the citizens of this country rise up? Will the citizens of the, all of the countries continue to rise up? What's going to happen in Europe? Will the government come down harshly on them? Will they find a, get, a way to get rid of Trump so they can have America back into their Agenda 21 fold? I guess we'll see. If you haven't heard about these agendas, do a little bit of research. I only touched the surface. It's actually a whole lot worse than any of the stuff that I said. When I was thinking about what to cover this week, I was going to do some history on President Bush because he died this week. But I will instead say, if you want to hear the story of Bush, there's a great podcast called Presidential. Presidential. It's great. And it has one episode for each president in the United States. And the episode on Bush, and the episode on Bush is fantastic. But I do want to talk for a minute about a video that I saw. Bob Dole was a senator and a huge competitor for Bush. Dole was a man who dreamed he always wanted to be president. He grew up in the Great Depression. He almost died in World War II. And in the 60s, he was in the House and then the Senate. And he really became a star of the Republican Party. Dole was the head of the RNC, but under Nixon, the job was taken away from him and given to Bush. And it was the beginning of a rivalry. Then Dole was given the chance to be the vice president under Ford, but Ford lost the election. Then came Ronald Reagan, who picked Bush instead of Dole. Reagan won twice. And then Bush ran when Reagan couldn't run anymore, and he won. Dole always seemed to lose out to Bush. Now, just a few months younger than Bush, 
Dole is wheeled into the funeral. He's helped out of his hair, out of his chair, and with shaking hands he can hardly control, he slowly lifts his arm and gives the casket of Bush a salute. And at that moment, it hit me, something I know, but every once in a while, something happens that makes you take something you know to be true and make it emotionally true. We're all going to die. Two of the most powerful men in the world who battled for the top spot. They wanted to rule the world. They had power. They had respect. They had money. They had everything that people strive for. They even had a long life. But now they have a casket and a wheelchair. In the front row of that funeral, we have Trump, his wife, Obama, his wife, Bill Clinton, and then Hillary. Speaking was George W. Bush, and in the casket was his father, President Bush. For the last three decades, these people have fought to have power and control of the most powerful nation in the world. Trump was kind of late to the game, but now it's the most powerful. But so what? In reality, does it even matter? In the Bible, King Solomon had everything. He had the smarts, the money, the stuff, the women. But in the end, he said everything is pointless. And it is. Everything is pointless. If you're looking for the point to be something here on earth, you won't find it. When you're young, you have dreams and you think if you achieve those dreams, you'll have purpose, but you won't. Even the most powerful people in the world still die. And in the end, it's just a pointless game. But if you think beyond this world, and if you understand that your time here on earth is just a blink compared to your time in eternity, then nothing is pointless. We're created for our purpose. And our purpose is to worship God and to point others to God. And if you do that, even if that's all you do, your life will not be pointless. My dream is to see Jesus Christ and to hear him say, Well done, you good and faithful servant. My dream is to see Jesus Christ and have to have crowns to lay at his feet. My dream is to bring as many people with me as possible. So that's why I end each podcast with the gospel. Because everything else is actually pointless. So here you go one more time. God, the creator of the world, loves you. He made you and he wants you to be with him forever. But your sin has separated you from God. So God came here to earth. That's the Christmas story. Jesus is God. And Jesus came to earth, lived life, felt pain, was hungry and tired, and then died. But he rose again three days later. And because he is God, because he died and because he rose again, he will forgive your sins when you ask him to. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, not might be saved, will be saved. So today, if you've not done that, call out to God. Tell him you're sorry for your sin and ask for forgiveness and believe. And if you have done that already, remember to find fulfillment in life that only comes when you worship God. You will not find it in anything else. 
I'm Lorelei Siemens. Check out my website, lorelleesiemens.com. And remember, we're going through Daniel together, so why don't you join me tomorrow morning for that? All right, I'll see you tomorrow morning on the video. If not, I'll see you next week.